Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. It's crunch time around MLB as teams scramble to get deals done ahead of the looming expiration of the league's collective bargaining agreement when Wednesday turns into Thursday and a player lockout is sure to follow. And in that scramble, in that mad dash, the Marlins are getting in on the fun. They've made three significant moves so far in an attempt to bolster their roster and improve on last year's 95 loss season. They're in agreement to sign outfielder Avisail Garcia to a four-year, $53 million contract. They're giving ace Sandy Alcantara a five-year contract extension. And they've also traded with the Pittsburgh Pirates for gold glove catcher Jacob Stallings. Uh, as of the time of this recording, which I'm doing late Monday night, uh, the Stallings trade is the only one of those three deals that has been officially announced by the Marlins. But with the CBA expiring at 11.59 p.m. on Wednesday, it should be expected that the other two, the Alcantara extension and the Gar- Avisail Garcia contract free agent deal, they should both be done well before, well before then. And all three of those moves, they're key as Miami heads into 2022. Uh, of those three, I feel like we have to start with the big in-house news, Sandy's extension. The deal, as of as it stands, is five years and $56 million, and it's all but official, merely just pending a physical for the Marlins to be ready to formally announce it. Uh, the deal also includes a $21 million option for a sixth year. Alcantara is set to receive a $1.5 million signing bonus once the deal becomes official. And the Marlins hold a $2 million buyout in year five of the deal. The deal will buy out Alcantara's three years of arbitration. And if it goes to that option, that sixth year option, will buy out his first three years of free agency. Uh, once it's official, it will be the largest deal, both in terms of years and total value. Under the Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter ownership group, big statement and... They couldn't have picked a better guy in-house to give that extension to. Sandy Alcantara, just, he's just 26 years old, coming off a career year. Uh, 2021 set a single-season best with 205 and two-thirds innings pitched, struck out 201 batters, became just the fifth pitcher in Marlins history to record 200 innings and 200 strikeouts in the same season. He pitched to a 3.19 ERA over 33 starts. And remember, that 3.19 ERA... It's inflated a bit by two bad outings. The one, the one and two thirds innings, or so when he against the LA Dodgers, where he gave eight runs, and that ten run shellacking against the Colorado Rockies. Take those out, and his numbers, if I remember correctly, were really about a two point three, two point four ERA somewhere in that range. And he got better as the season went on. He stepped up as a leader in the clubhouse. Uh, and when you look at where he stood among all of baseball, he was one of four pitchers to throw at least 200 innings this year. The only other three to do so were the Phillies, Zach Wheeler, the Dodgers, Walker Bueller, and the Cardinals, Adam Wainwright. Pretty good company to be in, and for a sport in a position where innings haven't really been meant as much and going deeper in the games hasn't meant as much to the position overall league-wide, to have a guy like that who goes into every game wanting to throw nine innings, wanting to be that guy who throws a complete game, has a shutout every single time. Alcantara has really stepped up in that role. Uh, And not just this year. He was an all-star in 2019 when he threw 197 in the third innings and had 380 ERA. And then in the abbreviated 2020 season, even though he missed some time with COVID, 
He made seven starts there, had a 3-0 ERA, over 42 innings. Uh, and just big picture for the Marlins, this deal locks down their ace. And we talk about all of the up-and-coming guys and what the rotation looks like behind him. Obviously, Trevor Rogers, 2021, National League Rookie of the Year runner-up. You see what Pablo Lopez has done when he's on the field. Uh, Sixo Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, Max Meyer, uh, and then Jesus Lazardo and Eliezer Hernandez in the mix as well. But even with all of those guys and the starting pitchers behind them, Sandy is the established, proven guy in this young yet talented and improving rotation. And to make sure that he is at the front of the pack to carry the group, to lead the group, that's a priority for an organization that values starting pitching and prioritizing starting pitching as much as they do. They have their guy through at least the 2026, potentially through 2027 if he stays for that sixth year. And it'll be great to see what happens as Alcantara continues to move forward. Next up, let's talk about the deal that is official and has been announced, Jacob Stallings. Marlins formally announced the trade uh, Monday night. They acquired him in exchange for right-handed pitcher Zach Thompson, pitching prospect Kyle Nicholas, and outfielder prospect Connor Scott. And it's a move that makes sense. They were There have been murmurs about them wanting to acquire Stallings for a while now going back to during the season. And he provides stability at what can be argued has been the Marlins' weakest position over the last year plus. Uh, I mean, and look no further than what they did, the trade deadline. They traded Adam Duvall for Alex Jackson. They traded John Curtis to get Peyton Henry. They called up Nick Fortes. And they basically moved away from Jorge Alfaro as their starter, which when you look back at spring training, Don Mattingly's words were, Georgie's our guy. They wanted to give, have 2021 be the year that decided whether or not Jorge Alfaro would be their starting catcher long-term. And as soon as the calendar turned to August, Jorge Alfaro was out in left field and they were rotating around more or less three different guys over the final two months to see if any of them could step up and become their starter. Uh, Alex Jackson got the most time, obviously, before Peyton Henry and Nick Fortes got call-ups over the final two, three weeks. None of those three really cemented themselves as the, as the potential starter for 2022. There's a chance that you get at least one of them as your backup and then have the other two in AAA, but the Marlins needed a guaranteed, guaranteed no doubt about it, starting catcher, especially going back to the starting rotation, how valuable that is. They need a defensive-minded catcher who can control the staff and be, and help grow, help this rotation grow. Jacob Stallings is exactly that. As I mentioned, defensive-minded catcher, uh, and he's entering his first year of arbitration, so he's under team control for a few years now. So you're going to have him for a while. He turns 32 in December, so that's something that you also have to monitor. But if he can be the guy for a couple years while Peyton Henry, Nick Fortes, Alex Jackson, while any of those three get their reps and show that they could potentially become the guy, he becomes a pretty good stopgap. And to look at some of his numbers, you look at fan graphs, he led all MLB catchers this year with 21 defensive runs saved. He was tied, according to fan graphs, with Omar Navarez as the, for the third highest overall defensive rating among catchers who were behind the play at least 800 innings. The only two guys he was behind were the Oakland Athletics' Sean Murphy and the Phillies' JT Realmuto. 
Offensively this year, he hit 246, 8 home runs, 20 doubles, 53 RBI, and 38 runs scored. His 11.4% walk rate, 82nd percentile in the big leagues, according to StatCast. Decent framer, uh, didn't allow a pass ball this year. The only catcher who, among the, the catchers who caught at least 500 innings to do so. He's good at blocking. He's good at calling a game. This should be a very good acquisition for the Marlins. At least on paper, everything looks like it made sense. And when you look at what the Marlins gave up, they didn't really give up too much. Or I guess I should say they didn't give up as much as I thought they might have had to in order to acquire him. Zach Thompson, pleasant surprise. Really great breakout first season in the big leagues. 14 starts, 26 overall appearances, 3.24 ERA over 75 innings. He stabilized the back end of the Marlins rotation, especially during that first half of the year when they lost. Obviously, they were without Sixto Sanchez all year. Eliezer Hernandez got hurt in his first start. And after the Marlins really cycled through a lot of their second-tier guys, Braxton Garrett, Nick Knighter, Daniel Castano, it was Zach Thompson who signed a minor league deal with the Marlins before spring training as a reliever who really stepped in and cemented one of those, cemented really that number four spot until the Marlins got back on, back after the All-Star break and the staff really started to recover and get back to full strength. They moved into the bullpen in the back half of the year and really had a swing role, was available to make spot starts, was also available to do to be a long-inning guy out of the bullpen or get out of jams in late-inning situations. But again, when you look at that core that they have at the top, they have seven guys who are really competing for spots in the rotation already. And knowing where they have their other guys, their second tier guys who are waiting in the wings, you even have Max Meyer, who's going to start in AAA next year, on top of the Braxton Garrett, Nick Knighter, Jordan Holloway, Dan Castano group. It made Zach Thompson expendable and it made him that big league guy who was already on the 40 man roster that you could switch for Stallings without even making an additional corresponding move. And then when you look at the prospects that they gave up, uh, Kyle Nicholas and Connor Scott, yes, they were both top 30 prospects according to MLB Pipeline in the Marlins organization, but they were essentially on the bottom or middle of the totem pole at their respective position inside the organization. Kyle Nicholas, the competitive balance pick in the 2020 draft, ranked as the 16th overall prospect in Miami system. Struggled a little bit in high A Beloit before moving up to double A Pensacola. And his eight starts in Pensacola were nothing short of fantastic. 252 ERA, 50 strikeouts, one, uh, 167 batting average against over 39 and a third innings in eight starts. But again, you look at who's ahead of him. You've got all of those guys who I've already mentioned who are, who are either big league ready or already in AAA and have some ready to go. Jake Eater, who underwent Tommy John surgery, is missing next season. He's ahead of him in the pecking order. They have Zach McCambly as well. They have Dax Fulton, who's in high A and really impressed toward the end. So trading a Kyle Nicholas compared to potentially of having to flip some, other, some of the other prospects, that makes sense for where they need to go. Same thing with Connor Scott. Marlins first round pick in 2018. Number 22 overall prospect, according to Pipeline. He's been in the system for, this is year four, third year of pro ball, because again, there was no 2020 season, but still hadn't cracked above, say, advanced. So he showed signs of improvement in 2021, no doubt about it. His offensive marks across the board were career best. But you look at the Marlins, you look at the Marlins outfielder prospects and 
the guys who made their debuts. Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, already in the big leagues. Monte Harrison in AAA. J.J. Blade most likely going to start in AAA. Peyton Burdick going to start in AAA. Cam Meisner going to teeter-totter potentially between AA or AAA. Victor Mesa Jr. on the rise. Still need to figure out what you're doing with Victor Victor Mesa. You have Gerard Encarnacion, who potentially is going to might have to switch to first base long term, but is still technically an outfielder prospect as well. They have a lot of depth there. So Connor Scott became expendable as well. So, like I said before, all in all, on paper, really good trade. That should help the Marlins in the immediate without dramatically impacting their future, which is essentially the goal of what they're trying to do as they go into year five. Become a contender, or as close to a contender as you can be at the big league level, without completely without completely tearing down the farm that they've built up over these last four and a half years. And the third deal that's been done so far, Avisayo Garcia, uh, outfielder, most likely going to be playing the corners. He was a name that was on the Marlins' radar a couple off-seasons ago, and his signing really fits the bill of the club's main priority for this off-season, which general manager Kim Ang simply described back in late October as being, quote-unquote, multiple bats, very plural. Garcia, he's 30 years old. He's a career 270 hitter with a 756 on-base plus slugging mark OPS, 127 home runs, 475 ribbies, 453 runs scored over 951 career games. Uh, one of his best years in 2021, 29 home runs, 86 RBI, 820 OPS and 490 slugging. Uh, all of the RBI home runs were career best. The OPS and the slugging were both barely just behind the marks he had in 2017 when he was an all-star with the Chicago White Sox. Defensively, like I said, he primarily played in right field in his career. 690 of his career starts have come in that spot. He does have 75 career starts in center field and 12 in left. So we could see what the Marlins try to do. And as we look at the construction of that outfield, if Abisayel Garcia is in right field and the Marlins decide to potentially, if they go to sign another outfielder, which I think is the move and would be the wise move, that would it would ideally be someone who could play center field. And that way you could platoon the duo of lefty Jesus Sanchez and righty Brian De La Cruz in your other corner outfield outfield spot. If not, if you do sign someone who's in the corner, De La Cruz did play a lot of center. He's playing center in the Dominican League, Dominican over in, during winter ball right now. So he is an option in the short term. And in the guy, the guys who are coming up from the minors, Burdick played center field basically for the majority of his time last season in double A. Uh, Cam Meisner, who's on the rise, he's probably defensively the best of their prospects in terms of being a center fielder long term. But we'll see how they go with that. And just want to step back for a minute now at this point and look big picture what's going on in the free agent market in Major League Baseball offseason. I mean, these last few days have been pretty fun. Seeing a frenzy of signings compared to what we usually see with baseball when it's very slow development. You really have to wait for the winter meetings for any sort of traction to really happen. But with the CBA basically giving teams a soft deadline to get a lot of stuff done before having to wait who knows how long for the new CBA to get put in place and things going into a freeze for an indeterminate amount of time, we're seeing basically something that's similar to what's what we see in the first few days of NBA free agency when all of the big deals are basically being done all at, all at one time. I mean, let's just look at everything that's happened since Saturday and 
I know I'm probably going to have missed a deal or two and whatever is ha- whatever happens in the hours after post after recording this Monday night. But look at the Rangers and the Mets first off. Uh, Rangers, they've signed Corey Seager to a 10-year, $325 million deal. Marcus Semien to $175 million over five years. Pitcher John Gray to $56 million over four. And Cole Calhoun to $5.2 million over one year. The Mets landed Max Scherzer at $130 million over three years. That $43 and a third million dollar average annual value smashing the, the previous record set by Garrett Cole. And then they also did had three position player signings. Uh, former Marlins Starling Marte is going to the Mets, four years, seventy-eight million. Outfielder Marcana, two years, twenty-six and a half million. Infielder Eduardo Escobar, two years, twenty million. Uh, and then digging deeper, twenty-twenty-one AL Cy Young Award winner Robbie Ray signed five years, one hundred and fifteen million with the Seattle Mariners, who also acquired Adam Frazier from the San Diego Padres in a trade. The Toronto Blue Jays signed pitcher Kevin Gossman to five years, $110 million. And reliever and former Marlin Yimmy Garcia on a two-year, $11 million deal. Uh, the Rays signed Corey Kluber. They, they're giving Wander Franco an 11-year contract extension. The Minnesota Twins offered Alfred Byron Buxton seven years, a seven-year, $100 million contract extension. There's more, more, most likely going to be some more deals coming over the next 24 hours. And there was also that move with all the starting pitchers over the, that first wave of stuff about a week and a half ago. But when we watch this, this is fun. This is what the offseason should be. This is what MLB needs the offseason to be. They need that one or two days of extravagance to have that peak interest, to have all of the, to have all of the attention going on instead of slowly seeing things tread water and then up, oh, here's a deal. Uh, wait a little bit more and then up, oh, here's another deal. With all of the action happening now, it puts all of the attention on Major League Baseball and gives it gives the fans something to look for and something to get excited about. Obviously, it's coming with the repercussion of the impending lockout, but you're gonna take you're gonna take the good with the bad at this point, and especially with the optimism or the hope that the lockout that is coming isn't going to impact the season. Again, it's gonna have it's lockouts happening on as we hit midnight going into December 2nd, that gives the league and the Players Association a couple months to hammer things out before there's any worry about if games are going to be missed or they're going to push back the season. So there's time. Uh, We'll see what happens as the rest of this short window unfolds and then what happens on the back half once for the guys who, who don't sign deals at this point and what happens with them during that what's going to be a second mad dash before spring training starts. Uh, to wrap up the first half of the segment, uh, some other moves that the Marlins could make. Uh, you look at various reports that have been out there. They've been in touch with reportedly several other free agent outfielders, uh, Chris Taylor, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber among them. But as of the time of this recording, nothing appears to be imminent. Uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll do a quick update and primer on Tuesday's non-tender deadline and give a quick update on pitching prospect Sixto Sanchez's rehab after having shoulder surgery that kept him out for the 2021 season. So with that, we will be right back. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back, everyone. Uh, While the 11.59 p.m. Wednesday deadline for the CBA's expiration is the focal point right now and the cause of the free agency frenzy that we've been seeing, there is one other deadline that's going to take place before the expiration and potentially bring one last mad dash into this offseason before the looming lockout. Uh, That's MLB's non-tender deadline. Teams have until 8 p.m. Eastern Time Tuesday to decide which players on their 40-man roster who are either pre-arbitration or eligible for arbitration. In other words, those players who have less than six years of service time and don't have a multi-year deal in place, uh, they have until 8 p.m. to tender contracts to choose which players they're going to tender contracts to for the 2022 season. Those who aren't tendered contracts become free agents. MLB moved up this deadline originally either December 1st, December 2nd, which of course is right at the cusp of the deadline, to Tuesday night so that those who do who are intended have a brief window to on with another club before the impending lockout. And tendering a contract doesn't mean salaries are being negotiated at this point. It's just teams saying to the players, we're going to give you a contract for 2022. Those who are pre-arbitration essentially are going to make around the league minimum. Some will make a little bit more. Those who are in arbitration, that usually happens around February, around January and February is when deals start to take place. And we'll see really how the arbitration system works, especially with a new CBA coming in. But for right now, they have to, the teams have to go under the current collective bargaining agreement and figure out who they're tendering by this deadline. For the Marlins, this Basically, he's going to put the focus on 10 players who are on their 40-man roster who are eligible for arbitration. In that group of 10, I'm not counting Sandy Alcantara because, again, he's expected to have that contract extension that should be made final, that should be made official in the coming days. And that's not counting Jacob Stallings because, well, the Marlins traded for him. It would be kind of pointless for him to trade for him and not tender him a contract. So with that, I'm going to rattle through the 10 players who the Marlins have who are eligible for arbitration, their projected salaries according to MLB trade rumors, and just some quick thoughts on them. Some are no-brainers, others a little more interesting and a little bit more complex. Uh, I'm going to go alphabetical by last name here. So first off, first baseman Jesus Aguilar, last year of arbitration, projected $7.4 million. We've seen how steady he's been for them offensively over the two years. 265 average, 794 OPS, 30 home runs, 127 ribbies, 80 runs in 182 games. Uh, Universal DH will help him and a couple other guys as we get as I get later into this. You also have to Marlins also have to figure out what they want to do at first base. Remember, they have Lewin Diaz. He looked really, really good defensively. During that small sample size after Jesus Aguilar had his season-ending injury. And the only way they're going to know whether Lewin Diaz is their first baseman of the future is to get him reps. Is for him to start as consistently as possible. Jesus Aguilar was a roadblock to that this year. But again, if you have him here, 
obviously you're going to have to tender him unless you swing a trade, which at this point, I think they're just going to tender him and move on to things of the future. Next up, Jorge Alfaro, $2.7 million. I think the Jacob Stallings trade basically made that decision for the Marlins, or more or less formalized the decision for the Marlins. Uh, and not just that, but if you go back to the trade deadline, when they got Alex Jackson, when they got Peyton Henry, when they decided to bring Nick Fortes up, when they decided to move Jorge Alfaro to left field, and Kim Ang made the comment of, the importance of versatility when it comes to acquiring players and building a roster, it basically, excuse me, it basically brought up the signs that Jorge Alfaro's days in the Marlins organization were numbered. Sorry, reports about other teams potentially having interest in him. Uh, We'll see exactly what happens with him, but I would be very surprised if Jorge Alfaro was tendered the contract by 8 p.m. Tuesday. It's... It's a tough thing, especially when you look at Jorge Alfaro, the person. He's always been an upbeat guy. He's always been a hard worker. He's always been the guy who tries to put in that extra work to perfect his craft. But things just didn't work out. He had the struggles defensively. He has a high strikeout rate. We know he can mash the ball when he makes contact. We know he has the athletic ability, especially for a catcher. Uh, but it just it's looking like it's not going to work out here. Third baseman Brian Anderson going into year two of arbitration, $4.5 million. We know who Brian Anderson is. He's a gold glove caliber defender. When he's healthy, he's a pretty good hitter. He's that guy who should be fifth, sixth in the lineup. Last year, his year just got completely chopped up. The three different injuries never was really the same. And it was a lost year for him. It's unfortunate, especially after coming off a pretty good abbreviate season 2020 and what he did his first two years in 2018 and 2019. Marlins are going to tender him a contract. We'll see where things go from here, but he should be part of the plans in 2022, it looks like. Infielder John Birdie going into his first year of arbitration, $1.2 million is his projected salary. We've seen the value he's brought as that super utility backup can play second base, shortstop, third base, all three outfield spots. Steals bases, gets on base at a high percentage, $1.2 million. Unless the Marlins have somebody else in mind to be that super utility guy to take Birdie's spot, he's going to get a contract tendered. Richard Blyer, left-handed reliever, $2.5 million. He's been one of their, he became one of their late-inning guys this year. He's been really solid, high ground ball rate. And really, he and Steven Oker are their only two left-handed reliever options at this point right now. We'll see Richard Blyer again in 2022. He should be getting something tendered. Lewis Brinson, outfielder, first year of arbitration, $1.3 million. We've seen the streaks of potential breakouts with Lewis. We've seen the effort, the want to, the defensive defensive plays that he can make in center field. But it also doesn't hide the fact that in his tenure with the Marlins, 203 batting average, 296 strikeouts against 201 hits. He's out of minor league options. The Marlins have been making moves to improve their outfield. Unless they keep him as essentially the fifth outfielder, I don't see a path for Lewis Brinson moving forward with the Marlins. This, it felt like last year was his last chance. And then it sort of said everything you need to know when they more or less started Brian De La Cruz in center field for the bulk of 
that final stretch of 2021. Uh, could he still get tenure contract? Yes. Could he be a backup outfielder? Yes. But it's also basically pigeonholing him into that same role that Magnari Sierra had last year. It's a tough spot. We'll see exactly how they address that. That's going to be one of the complicated, complex, in a sense, decisions for the Marlins to make. The first baseman slash right fielder, Garrett Cooper, going into year two of arbitration, projected $3 million. We know his upside from the Marlins roster, from that group they've had the last two years. He's been their best pure hitter. Last year, among Marlins players who had at least 200 plate appearances, he led the club in hard hit rate, average exit velocity, his 380 on base percentage was team best. He puts the ball in play. He does it consistently, but he only, of course, he only does it when he's healthy. He's had his defense is subpar. He's had IL stints basically every year he's been with the club. I'm not all. I'm not going to include what he hit, happened in 2020. Obviously, he tested positive for COVID, but the other three full, the other full seasons he's done with the club, he's had IL since. He's been injured, and again, the defense is fine. The DH will help, assuming expected. Hopefully, that that, take, that happens in 2022 and beyond, that will help his case. But if you have to figure out his positioning defensively, he really doesn't have a spot right now, especially. If you keep Jesus Aguilar and you want Lewin Diaz at first base, and you have Adesayo Garcia and Jesus Sanchez, Jesus Sanchez slash Brian De La Cruz as your corner outfielders, they'll need to find a role for him unless he just becomes their universal DH for more for the bulk of the games and gets a spot start defensively. Right-handed pitcher Dylan Floro, two point four years, two point four million going into his second year of arbitration. Uh, once the Marlins traded Yimmy, Yimmy Garcia, Floro became the closer. He was pretty good. 13 of 15 save opportunities converted. He should be a high leverage guy moving forward, whether it's going back to that eighth inning role or staying the closers to be determined, depending on what other moves the Marlins make. But yeah, Dylan Floro will be back. And now we get to the two starting pitchers. Uh, I'm going to jump out of alphabetical order here. Start with Pablo Lopez. Two and a half millions his project for his first year of arbitration. Uh, we know what Pablo is when he's healthy. He's one of their most consistent pitchers. Last year, 3.26 ERA or 3.26 ERA overall over the last two seasons. 174 strikeouts against 44 walks over 160 innings. The problem, again, sort of similar with Garrett Cooper, is his health. Lopez has had injuries that sidelined him this, over the second half of the season in 2018, 2019, and 2021. You look at where the Marlins pitching situation is. You see the depth that they have. Again, like I mentioned in the first half, basically seven guys competing for five spots. If the Marlins were given a good enough trade offer, I could see them listening to deals for Pablo Lopez. It would make sense if they're able to to flip one of their established guys who is in that arbitration realm versus the guys you have control over or have more years of control over, I should say. It would make sense. I'm not saying that they're going out and shopping Pablo, but I can definitely see them listening to deals if they're able to get the right deal. Obviously, if there's if nothing happens over by 8 p.m. Tuesday, he's getting he's going to be tendered a contract. There's no doubt about that. And the last guy, right-handed pitcher, Eliezer Hernandez, doesn't have that pure stuff, the... Wicked fastballs, like every, like almost every other starter of the Mar- in the Marlins upper group has, 
But his slider and changeup have made a lot of swing and miss, 33% apiece over the last season. Uh, injuries have been a concern as well. He was on 60-day IL three times over the last two seasons. And he really is that tweener guy between, is he going to be a starter full-time? Is he going to be a reliever full-time? Uh, and also what the Marlins do with him when you have Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez if he stays, Jesus Lazardo, who they see promise in, Sixo Sanchez, Network Cabrera, and then Max Meyer knocking on the door. Where does that leave Eliezer Hernandez when it comes to the Marlins group? Uh, with that, that's the full list. Decisions will obviously be made shortly, and we'll be able to assess them after they are made. And to wrap up today's episode, just a really quick update on Sixo Sanchez. Uh, he's currently rehabbing at the team spring training complex up in Jupiter. He sat down for an in-house interview with the Mar- with Marlins Radio's uh, Kyle Seeloff uh, that the Marlins put on their YouTube page on Sunday. The really shortened, simple version of the update, Sixto Sanchez says he feels 100% after undergoing right shoulder surgery in July. It's about four months ago. Again, he's rehabbing. Conveniently, or interestingly enough, the video the Marlins showed, which had a five-minute interview with him and a bunch of B-roll for what he's doing up in Jupiter, doesn't throw him, show him throwing yet. That's something that needs to be noted and watched as we get closer to whenever spring training will actually be once we get on the other side of the CBA. And with that, we'll, uh, there's a full story about Sixto Sanchez's progression and what he's doing and what he hopes to show in 2022 on the Herald website. So you can head over there for more details and the full story with the video of the interview as well. And on that note, that's going to conclude this week's episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson, and when I come, when we talk again next week, it'll most likely will be in the midst of a lockout. So things will be interesting. Uh, talk again soon, everyone. Thanks so much. <laughs>